In John chapter 12, last week, we looked at the tension of what it means to glorify God when Jesus Christ uses the term and John uses it, that it's not about all the wonderful things so much as it is about some of the painful things that brings God's glory when we do it in a sacrificial manner, that we are sacrificing not for our own interests, um, and plenty of people are willing to sacrifice for their own interests. Would you agree with that? Um, even going back to the, the forefathers of this country, we talk about all the sacrifices they made, but let's be real honest, the sacrifices they made was because they wanted to rebel against the king for their own purse strings. Even though it might have cost them some of their wealth, um, they wanted that liberty to not pay the taxes to the king that God had put over them. And so uh, sacrifices, whether it be on the military realm, in the financial realms, uh, sacrificing for family, uh, uh, can be a very selfish endeavor. And I don't want to imply that every sacrifice is glorifying to God because it isn't. And so we are in this realm of that which is obedience to God to such a degree that it matters little to us what it costs us to be obedient. And that's the sacrifice we're talking about. So Jesus Christ lays out, in the midst of his elevation, he lays out his understanding of what real humble obedience as a son is, and that is that uh, whatever the Father asks of me, and I already know what he's asked of me, I knew it before I came, I will do it. I'll perform that. And then he communicates to the people the nature of that obedience, that that obedience, and we're going to look at that a little bit this morning, that that obedience is about him being lifted up, and everyone knew what that term meant, even if we don't understand what it means today sometimes, if I just went around and said the Son of Man was lifted up, um, that was commonly used. It was a figure of speech in the day. We're going to see that. Um, but in the midst of all of this declaration, we have this voice from heaven. And we talked about the, what it wasn't for last week. That it wasn't there to encourage Jesus, to motivate him, to cheer him on. It wasn't there as a slap on the back. It wasn't there as a confirmation from God at all for him. Um, Jesus Christ says, that wasn't for me. I didn't need that. It wasn't required. Um, because the obedient son does not need any of that from the father. Because he knows the father loves him. And he knows the father has good in mind. He has joy in store. And he also loves the father and wants to please him. So that is the motivating and driving force of Jesus' obedience, and hopefully the driving force of our obedience. And if it isn't, we need to mature into that, that it is not selfish interest, it is not for what makes me feel good or what I think is right or wrong, um, or what is uh, beneficial for me. It is what is it that pleases God in my life. That is what I strive after and endeavor to accomplish in all that I do. So, having declared that last week, we come to, if the voice wasn't there for Jesus, to encourage and cheer him on because he didn't need it, because he was already determined to be obedient, then who was it for? And what was it going to accomplish? And that we want to investigate this morning. And so, Jesus Christ himself says in verse 30, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. 
He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. We're going to stop right there for a moment. So he makes it very clear who this is for. This is for you. And then he wants to add an attachment. Lest you misunderstand what the voice said. Let's back up and remind ourselves what the voice from heaven said in verse 28b. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. That is in a response to Christ's statement in 28a, Father, glorify your name. And so God says, I have glorified, I will glorify it again. And the crowd hears this. And this is quite a crowd. The crowd hears this. And Jesus Christ communicates, this is not for me, this is for you. And we might say, well, this is wonderful. What a great accomplishment. We have the triumphal entry. We have the Greek-speaking Jews uh, or proselytes coming in. They were Jews by faith and not by birth. We have them coming in um, for the disciples and their uh, evaluation of this. They're thinking, this is just falling right along. And then you have this confirmation by a heavenly voice. I mean, how much more clear can you be? This is the king of Israel, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And not only are our voices saying it, Jesus says, if you be quiet, the rocks will speak. Uh, But even a voice from heaven is declaring it. And we expect that once Jesus says, this voice is for you, that the next thing you're going to hear is an evangelistic message. (laughs) Believe. This is for you to believe and to follow me. But that is not the next thing Jesus says. The next thing Jesus says is about the voice is that now is the judgment of this world. And you can almost imagine, again, the disciples go, wait a minute, what is wrong with this guy? You know, here's a great opportunity to be inviting. This is the time when you should be having the altar call. You should be singing just as I am. The voice is the affirmation. We should be singing every... Every stanza in the extended version, not just the ones that are in your hymn book. And we should just keep going as long as people are coming. I mean, we've got these proselytes over here coming. We've got all these people in Hosanna over there. We've got the children involved. We got the, and we got people leaving the Pharisees and Sadducees to follow after you. We've got the voice from heaven. Certainly now's the time for this mass invitation. And instead, Jesus says, judgment has come. Judgment has come. The voice is here to judge us. And then he follows that up by, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. We're going to talk about that here shortly. And I'll be lifted up to the earth. And then we'll draw people to me. We have an ABAB format where we have a statement of judgment, and then, which is, we often associate with negative, not necessarily should be, but um, we often associate it with the negative, followed by a positive, that the ruler of this earth will be cast out. Now, if you're the Jews, who is the ruler of the world? The ruler of the world is the Romans. Well, that sounds more like it. I don't know what this judgment thing is, but if that's a judgment on the Romans, they deserve it. I don't know what that has to do with the voice being time judgment, but the ruler of this world is cast out. 
because they're still in the physical and they're thinking of physical kingdoms and Christ, of course, has been trying all his ministry to elevate them. They're thinking as he communicates to them to a spiritual realm, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, all those parables about the kingdom of heaven. And he's using stories about this earth to communicate a spiritual truths. So by now they should be pretty adept at it, but they aren't. And so he's coming right out and said the ruler of this world is cast out. So we have a negative, the judgment, um, unless it's the judging the people I don't like, and then that's also positive, and then followed by the rule of this world is cast out. And then we have this negative, this, I'll be lifted up from the earth, which the only people that like to hear that were his enemies. They were also probably in the audience and heard the voice. Because they were there saying, Remember in verse, back in verse 19, the whole world is going after this guy. Whatever we're doing, we're, we're failing. we got to do different to convince themselves that it was right for them to seek the murder of the Son of God. And then, following this idea that your new king has to be crucified, will be, I will draw all to myself. That will be the time of invitation. That will be the mechanism by which I will seek to bring all people into my kingdom. We're going to talk about that here very shortly. So this is the format Jesus introduces. Is Here's what the voice is for. But I want you to notice something. All the people heard the voice. It was all acknowledged. Um, in fact, listen to how they say, um, how they respond. In verse 29, the people who stood by heard it, said that it had thundered, Others said an angel has spoken to him. This huge multitude all had access to be ear witnesses to the same event. But I want you to notice the responses that we get from it. It did not bring clarity to anyone's thought that I can see. First of all, they misunderstood the, a concept of glorification much like we do. We associate it with exaltation rather than humiliation. The Son of Man is here to be lifted up. That sounds like exaltation, but it's really the humiliation of the cross shredded open and bleeding naked and as a criminal, though he had done no sin. And so they misunderstood the concept of glorification, they misunderstood the concept of the kingdom of heaven, and they wanted a kingdom on earth. And because they didn't want to know the truth, the revelation from this heavenly voice brought confusion. You talked a little bit about this in Sunday school this morning, and uh, I can hear snippets of it when we're not singing or doing our own story in the nursery. Um, but we can all come to God's word and make it say or find in it what we want to find in it. And you might say, are you reading the same Bible I'm reading? You know, and, and when you encounter a Gnostic, and there are... Gnostics today. I, I'm done calling them by man's names because when you do the research, basically it's not Calvin, it's not Augustine, it's Gnosticism. That's where it all sourced from. 
And so this, the Gnostics who come in and, and have this wonderful system of belief that sounds very biblical, but it is horrible heresy that the early church fathers, I mean the early church fathers like Polycarp and Clement of Rome, and these all condemned as heresy. These are first and second century church leaders, pastors. This is John's disciples, the, the pastors that John trained, the pastors that Peter trained, the, these, these, the pastors that Paul trained. We have these men's writings, and they condemn it. But we come to this, and we say, do they not have the same Bible we have? And there's going to be a, this part of this verse that I'm like, do you not get it? Jesus Christ is going to draw all to himself. Not just a few, not just the chosen. He's going to draw all men to himself. Not all kinds of men. He's going to draw all to himself. I know the context. We have the, the proselytes over there on the wings and that he has some reference to them. But he has a much wider reference, and the voice from heaven is the declaration of that, is that God will glorify it, and, and he will glorify it again. Not only in Jesus Christ, but in the proclamation and the opening up of the gospel to all peoples. And so we come and we say, well, certainly if we have revelation, that will be sufficient for people to all turn to Christ. And this is one of the best examples why that's not enough. I remember as a young person saying, you know, if God would just do something spectacular like that today, just imagine all the multitudes of people that would get saved. If you know while I'm out preaching or something, all of a sudden a voice from heaven calls out. You know, during the Bloom Fiesta. That would just do it, wouldn't it? You know, there's a guy standing on a soapbox preaching over there in the corner, and, and all of a sudden there's a voice from heaven. Listen to this guy. Certainly then, we would just explode in most of Albuquerque, and because it's International Bloom Fiesta, most of the entire earth will get saved. Because it's the most photographed event, and I'm sure a lot of those people have audio on their things too. Certainly that's all we need. Maybe some heavenly... Something coming down onto me. Sound familiar? Then I'll just explode, right? No. Because when men's hearts are confronted with revelation in, an, in a rebellious manner, they will always confound the revelation. They will always seek to unwind it, to, to confuse it. And so the people hear this, and you can see right away, well, that was just a thunder. I just, that was a funny-sounding thunder. No, that was a voice. Well, it was the voice of God. Maybe it was an angel. And now we have all these people interpreting the voice. I want you to know that they all heard the voice from heaven. All of them heard it. But we find no evidence that it impacted any of them from going from this uh, <laughs> bandwagon following of Jesus. That is, we're going to jump on this bandwagon because we like where it's going and it's a big party. They're the party followers of Jesus. They're not the dedicated, sacrificial followers of Jesus Christ. And so they acknowledged it, but 
they, uh, that they heard it, but they wouldn't acknowledge that it was from heaven, nor did they acknowledge its affirmation of Jesus' words. He has been talking about why he is here. I have come for this very hour. And in the midst of that is this heavenly voice. The people should have tuned their ears and said, whoa, we better listen to what he's here for. He just said, I have come to this very hour for a reason. To glorify the Father. And just as Jesus Christ is getting ready to explain how he's going to glorify the Father this hour for this reason that he came, the voice says, hey, listen! And they proceed not to listen. Not really. They'll listen to the words, but not to the message. And then Jesus Christ proceeds to say, listen, the judgment is coming. Satan's going to be cast out. Um, and I'm going to be crucified, and all men are be drawn to me. There's the gospel. Wham! I say, oh, it's going to be like, not yet. That's going to be Acts 2. We're not there yet. Jesus Christ presents the gospel here, and it's a gospel presentation like similar to what we have where we talk about um, judgment because we know if the Holy Spirit comes, he'll, he will convict the world um, of, of their sin and God's righteousness and the sure judgment to come. That's going to be later on here in the Gospel of John. So judgment has to be part of your gospel presentation it's the powerful effect of, of glorifying God as an opposition to the work of Satan and then the necessity of the crucifixion, of the sacrifice of the only begotten, of the Holy One of Israel. We also have uh, the offer to all men. There it is. This is not the first time we've had the gospel in a nutshell, and John is it. John is very adept at it. Of course, the one you're very familiar with is John 3.16. But as we go through the Gospel of John, he just keeps putting these out there. Here's a little one or two verses, one or two verses. With one or two verses, he's sharing the Gospel message over and over and over and over again in this book. So here are these people. What have they had access to? They've had access to a man that had been dead four days that was standing right there breathing. They have had access to the other signs that have been uh, performed by Jesus Christ, mostly on the Sabbath, granted, but uh, he's been performing them in Jerusalem as well as in Galilee, on the other side of the Jordan, and up um, uh, even in Samaria. So you got the signs, you have his teaching, um, we have the testimony of John the Baptist, as, and the voice that was there at his baptism. We have all of this content coming. Jesus Christ has kept saying, at least you should believe the signs, at least you should believe that. Uh, and then you should believe my teaching, and, and then you should believe in me. They have had all of his teaching, and now they are confronted with this. And with this gospel presentation, here is their response. They didn't respond properly to their voice. They were reinterpreting it. They were saying, oh, it wasn't God's voice. It was an angel. It was just thunder. It was a natural phenomenon. And I love hearing people explain things out of the Bible as a natural phenomenon. I love it when people try to, scientists try to tell me how Israel crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. Especially when they have the wrong place. 
because they're on the wrong side of the Sinai Peninsula, because it should be in the Gulf of Aqaba, not the Gulf of Suez, and, and certainly not in the marshes of the northern part. Uh, and then to explain it, and I'm like, there's no wind on earth that will dry out a seabed overnight. There's no natural phenomenon. Yes, there is a natural land bridge across, prepared across the Gulf of Aqaba that is there today, and you can go scuba diving out there, and you can still see chariot wheels. They're down in there. They're covered in coral, coral but they're there. And, so, and we know they're Egyptian. And so we have all of that. All of that's there. The evidence is there. But uh, that wasn't a natural phenomenon. It was a supernatural one. And then 40 years later, to have the Jordan River stop cold and to have water pile up on either side of you. That's how they crossed the Red Sea, the Gulf of Aqaba. Water piled up on the other side of you. But scientists want to explain these things as a natural phenomenon because they don't want to accept God. And it's no different here with this group of people. How does the voice become an instrument of judgment? Because of an instrument of judgment, because you have heard it, but not acknowledged its source, its power, and its relevance. You have to respond. I heard an angel, I heard thunder, I heard national anything but... This is the voice of his Father in heaven that he keeps talking about over and over again that has just spoken to, and we've heard his voice. They should have all fallen on their knees, but they don't. It's not a supernatural thing that needs to happen to draw men to themselves in terms of things of this world. And, and uh, it is rather the work of the Holy Spirit and men must respond to it. There were those that witnessed miracles and rejected the miracle worker. Not only Jesus, but into the apostolic age as well. To the point that if you read through Acts and you follow the work of Paul, you'll see him using miracles less and less and less, and then finally not at all. Because the miracles sometimes got in the way. Now they want to worship me instead of God. Now they want to follow me instead of Jesus, whom I declare. And it became a problem. And you find Paul using them less often and less often and less often. And it finally ends up just being a survival thing if, if, when shipwrecked. is about the last use of it. Certainly the man who can uh, make the lame walk by prayer can open the doors of the Roman prison by prayer if he wanted to. But he chose not to. Because ultimately, it is not miracles that are going to change people's hearts. It is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And so we come with that similar message that Jesus just presents here in, in a very quick couple of verses um, outlining the gospel. That first of all, they're the judgment of this world. It's now. Because you have heard and seen all of these things, and ultimately you're going to, before the, well, it's not the end of this week, but by the first day of the next week, you're going to hear about a resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You're going to see all of this. 
But if you don't respond by faith, trusting it, it will be the thing that judges you. And we're gonna, this is really the beginning of, of the next two Sundays where we're going to talk about these judgment narratives that Jesus is going to put out there on people and that John's going to re, uh, re, report for us that um, what is this idea of judgment? Jesus is going to say, I didn't come to judge you. What's going to judge you is my word. Well, this is the beginning of that. He says, listen, now God has sent his word and that's going to judge you because you didn't respond the way you should have, which shows that your heart isn't right. Your heart is wicked, desperately wicked and deceitful, deceiving yourself and others. And so this is the judgment. But now, not only is the judgment coming on you, if this, if you do not believe the signs and the teaching and the wonders that you are being exposed to, but now also there's some power coming out of this that the ruler of this world will be cast out. And my question to you is, cast out of where? Cast out of where? Where is the ruler of this world cast out of? This is what Jesus' statement is. Where is he cast out of? And it's kind of interesting to hear people talk about this um, when I think it's very carefully related, again, by the same author, John, in his revelation um, there in, that uh, when Jesus Christ ascends into heaven, he casts Satan out of heaven. We know that Satan has access there from the book of Job, but I want you to understand that this is, this is precious. This statement by Jesus Christ now, the events of this hour, of this passion of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice on the Calvary's cross, the resurrection and the ascension to heaven, that event is the power by which the accuser of the brethren is eliminated from the place where he accuses. He is no longer the accuser. The accuser of the brethren is gone. That's what Revelation 12 says. He's been cast down upon the earth and now he is limited to this place. In Job, we found him having access to heaven. And that's where he pointed the finger and says, that guy, or God did, what do you think of Job? Well, he's only serving you because you've been so good to him. You'll be bad to him and he'll curse you. And Satan was wrong. Praise God. Job glorified God by suffering. Sound familiar? I think that was last week's message. So we find that the power of the, of the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ cast Satan not out of people, not out of any part of this earth, not out of churches, because boy, is he active there, um, but out of heaven itself, so that he no longer can accuse you, which theologically we know is correct, because who can accuse me of anything when the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed me from all sin? If that is a spiritual reality in my life, and I'm working to sanctify that reality into an active reality by my obedience to God and by my walk in righteousness, walking in the Spirit, by my walk of faith, then how can I be accused in heaven because the blood of Jesus Christ stands there and covers me. He's my atonement. And the righteousness has been imputed to me in heaven, and so I have righteousness, so there is no place for the accuser in heaven. 
And so he is cast out of heaven, which is exactly what Romans 12 says, or Revelation 12, which means that Revelation 12 cannot be future. It has to be historical fact. Has to be. And Jesus Christ says, now is when I conquer Satan. He's going to bruise my heel, but I'm going to crush his head. Going all back to Genesis. Fulfillment. And then, of course, the declaration, I will be lifted up and from the earth, and you'll see the people answer, verse 34. We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever, and how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? <laughs> all right, <clears throat> here we go. I want you to notice that they know the Bible. Please notice that. These confused people who did not receive this voice from heaven are not heathens and pagans and uh, politicians and, and Hollywood, all right? These are church members, okay? And by the way, if it happened today, somebody would just say that that was some wizardry of Hollywood if, if that would happen today, even if you witnessed it. Um, which probably wouldn't be far off. So we have this statement by them. We know what the law says. So they heard the voice, and they know the law. But I want you to notice how they read their Bibles. Are you ready? They read some of it, the parts they liked. That doesn't happen anymore today, I know, in churches, but... They read the parts they liked. What did they like to hear? Well, they, there are several passages we could pick from um, out of th this um, in Isaiah and Micah and other, other books, um, that even going back into Deuteronomy, um, that, the, that when he comes, when the king of Israel comes, remember they just announced the king of Israel Hosanna, blesses you, comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. That when he comes, he will endure forever. Okay? And if you, I think probably my, let's see if Micah's in here. I think Micah is the one in my center column here. That we got to go by that because that's on yours. Yeah, Micah 4.7 is that declaration. That, uh, so they knew some of the, that's a pretty remote passage to you, isn't it? Micah, do you know how to turn to Micah? You know the book before Micah or after? It's those other little books you don't know very well either. So these guys knew the Bible pretty well because they knew this kind of a passage, Micah 4, 7, uh, let be, okay? Because the verse, they didn't have verse, verses and chapters in their Bible. It was just written. And so... Um, I will make the, well, let's just back up verse 6. In that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame, I will gather the outcast, those whom I have afflicted, I will make the lame a remnant, and the outcast a strong nation. So the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on, even forever. Now, if you're an Israelite, you like those kind of verses. <laughs> and you all have your favorite verses. Some of you put them on your Facebook or on your social media. Here's my favorite verse. And, and 
I've never heard, I, I just can't say I never, um, probably 99% of the time, they're wonderful little verses about, oh, God's going to be, and, and none of them are, oh, we're terrible, rotten sinners, and we need to repent. We all come to the Bible and look for those passages that we like, because they're to our benefit. Even if we have to kind of twist them around a little bit, we don't mind that, and so, uh, and they become bestsellers. You know, the prayer of Jabez was a bestseller. It was out there, and everybody was praying the prayer of Jabez. And I was like, I've been a preacher for like 20 years. Who's Jabez? Maybe it was 15. It's been a while since the prayer of Jabez was all over the place. Oh, we all love the prayer of Jabez. Hmm. But we didn't like Philippians 4. We didn't like the idea of being crucified with Christ. We didn't like the idea of, being, of counting everything we have as dung that I might gain the excellency of the knowledge of the Son of God, of Jesus Christ. You see, we, we still do this. And so they picked out a verse, and, and it's not just one verse. There are other passages in Isaiah and others and, that talk about the eternal nature of the kingdom of God that will be ruled by this person who they still haven't identified as Jesus Christ. Look at it. It says, who is this son of man? Um, who are you talking about, son of man? Of course, that's the term that Ezekiel used in his terminology of, of who the suffering servant was going to be, the, the king of Israel. And so they want to take the parts of Scripture they like and totally ignore Isaiah 53, 52, 53, 54. Who wants to follow a guy like that? They cherry-picked. There's a lot of that going on in churches today. And so they knew the law. We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Because they only heard this much of the law and they didn't hear it all. Moses said, when there comes a prophet like unto me, heed him, follow him. Him you must listen to. When there is raised up one who is even greater than Moses, when he comes in your midst, they didn't listen to that. That should have been what they responded to. It was affirmed by God, affirmed by the prophets, affirmed by the signs, affirmed, 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 and still they're here challenging him instead of following him. These are the people who just a little while ago were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. But they don't like what he's saying either. What do you mean you're going to be crucified? That doesn't fit with our narrative of how God works. This is how it works. You're going to come in. You're going to throw the Romans off of our backs. You're going to feed us all, and we're not going to have death. We're not going to have disease. We're not going to have any of these problems. You've already demonstrated on occasions that you have the power to do all of that, and that we're going to rule and reign with you over all the earth, and we're going to put these Gentiles in their place. We're going to stomp on them. Because that's the message we like. That's the kingdom that we like. We don't like the idea that we're going to draw the Gentiles into this family of God. Well, that's not right. We want to stomp on them. How can you say all of this? 
It doesn't fit with our concept. What we have derived out of the Bible, and we have what we talk about in our theology classes and psych classes of cognitive dissonance. <laughs> we are being confronted with facts that go against what we believe and think already. And now we have to decide what to do with that. Now we have a conflict in our mind. Dissonance is just means that two things sounding that don't go together. They, won't, they can't ever be complemented. They can't be both and. It has to be either or. And we have a problem. We have dissonance. We have sounds that don't go good together. And it's cognitive is our thinking. Now our, our brains are confronted with two things that are opposite. This guy says he's going to die. We're thinking uh, this is the beginning of forever. You know, just like two couples at the altar. This is forever. It's the beginning of forever. It's not laughing. No, it's not. <laughs> no. Beginning of forever is when you submit yourself to Jesus Christ completely. So here they are. What are we going to do? We're confronted with this. And every one of you, as you pick up God's word on a regular basis, if you're honest, are confronted with things that are here that don't line up with your philosophy of life. They don't line up with your practices, either of worship or of work or of family. They, they just don't line up. And so when we do a workshop on biblical parenting, you go, well, I don't like that. Too bad. When you're confronted with the facts, with truth, and let us make that very clear, when you're confronted with truth, the fullness of truth. These people had access to the same Bible, but they only wanted to pick what they liked out of it. And that became their truth. Was it truthful? No, it was truth a little. It was minimal truth. Because the full truth was something very different. And when we're confronted with the full truth and we evaluate that, we have options. We can either reject it and keep skipping along our merry way that we are pleasing to God and that, that our little house of cards is really a secure way to get to heaven, or we have to go anywhere from that point over here to this point where we say, oh, Let's just break down the house of cards. Let's just throw the cards off the table. And let's build out something more enduring. And I have found almost nobody willing to go over here. And I keep challenging myself to stay here. This is a challenge that I have in my life and have had my entire ministry. And so when I listen to a sermon, whether it be in the Philippines or in Iowa, and I'm confronted with something, I, I say I have to be willing to break down my house of cards. That I have a little bit of truth. I mean, there's some substance there, but I've, it's just so shaky because I picked and chosen. And it should all come together. And it should be consistent. There should be no dissonance. There, should, there can be harmony, but not dissonance. Not blang, boom. You know, no. There's a harmonizing, yes, 
But if there's a dissonant sound in between what I'm doing as a pastor, what we're doing as a church, what my family looks and acts and, and, and behaves like, and how God's word describes it, I have a decision to make. I either ignore it and, and, and block my ears. I don't want to hear it, blah, 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 blah. Or I choose somewhere between that and saying, I have it wrong. And I need to change radically. Now, there are certain areas that I see full confirmation and affirmation in Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. And the more I study Scripture, the stronger I get it. Because I say, this just affirms, 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 affirms. And I was like, okay, that, that's solid. That's a concrete foundation right there. Immovable. I will be immovable in those areas. You will find me immovable. And you might say, you're kind of rigid, Pastor, in some areas. Yes, I am. Because if I find it in God's Word, consistently there in all of my study, and I put it into practice in my life, and I teach it consistently, and, it's, and it fits in all the doctrine, you better believe I am completely immovable. You will never convince me otherwise. I have that kind of commitment to this word. You might say, well, but pastor, we've seen you, and it's not flip-flopping, because once I flip, I don't flop. Because if I'm going to flip, it's because someone has shown me from God's word that I'm in the wrong. And as I study it, I go, wow, you know, that really isn't consistent with what I've been doing, isn't consistent with God's word, and I need to do something different. And that attitude is one of theological humility. That we humble ourselves, we submit ourselves to God's word, to the Holy Spirit, and to his people. God has used other men in my life through, to use his word and work with the Holy Spirit that that, that symphony, that, that, those instruments that bring that harmonization into my life that I have to either conform. These guys, they knew a little bit of it. They knew what they liked. They were hearing things they didn't like. It caused dissonance in their heart because they were so committed to this, they could not conceive of that. And we are so committed to what we think the truth is that we can't even, aren't willing even to consider that the truth is outside of this little ball that we've made of our own concept of what God's going to do and how he's going to do it. And so they missed it. And they had, who is the son of man you're talking about? You can't be the Christ if you're going to be crucified, is what they're saying. You cannot be the Christ and be crucified. So who are you talking about when you're talking about the son of man? We thought you were talking about the Christ. But the Christ is going to remain forever. We have that out of the law. Here's my, here's my little proof text. Never mind the rest of the scriptures. I have a proof text. I love people give me one verse. <laughs> that proves what? That proves that you can cherry pick. At least give me a chapter. Don't give me a verse. Don't cherry pick God's word. And so they had a verse. They, they had several verses. They had a principle. And they said, you can't be the Christ. And now here comes Jesus Christ. We got two. The voice ends up being their judgment. The law because they only embraced the parts they liked, becomes their 
judgment because they ignored the other rest of it. And then Jesus Christ says, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. They had the light. He says, I'm here. Listen, and you have access to this truth. Now you're confronted with truth. I know there's dissonance there, but you need to respond to the light. You are still in a darkness. And let's be honest, to have only a sliver of understanding of God's word implemented in your life, it does not put you in the light. It puts you in the dim. Don't walk in the dim. Now, when my son and I were out hunting, um, we would go out before light because we want to get out there while they're, so that as soon as they wake up, they can give a shot. Um, that's, <laughs> good morning. <laughs> so we're out there hiking through the woods to try to get to our special spot that we have figured out. Uh, there's lots of signs of animals around, and we're going to hike out there, and we have these little headlamps, boink. And you know what the headlights illuminate? Like this. And if I look down where I'm walking, I can see that. When I look up, I can't see that down there. Anything on the sides, I get smacked in my face by branches and limbs. And sometimes, you know, I'm wondering if he's got an arrow in the bow behind me, you know. I'm just like, can't see him. I don't know. What's he? And he can't see me. We're in trouble. But I have light. I have this one light right here. And most of us are living our Christian lives like that. I have the light. All you're seeing is this. Jesus Christ says, I'm the sun. I'm the light of the day. And boy, you get out there in the day, and it's like, wow, you could see like miles. Couldn't see that with my little headlamp. But you see, if you only have a sliver of God's word that you're clinging to and you're living your life according to instead of all of it, that's how you're living. You're walking in the dark with a little lamp lighting right in front of you when God wants you to walk in the day. He doesn't want you to walk in the dim. He wants you to walk in the bright. In all of it. And so he says, listen, you have the light. The light is with you a little while longer. You have a few hours. A couple days, that's still just a few hours. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. You're going to have access to this truth for only a period of time. And if you continue to mumble against it and grumble against it, if you continue to just skip along in your merry way, thinking that because you have a flashlight on your forehead, that somehow you're walking in the light, when God intends you to be in the day, you're going to come to the conclusion of your life and be severely disappointed. Because you're not going to be in heaven. You're going to be in outer darkness. And you're going to come to Jesus and say, oh, Jesus, I had that headlamp. And he's like, ah, depart from me. I never knew you. Yeah, that's what Matthew says. We did this stuff in your name. 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 And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. You see, for John, the little headlamp isn't being a follower of Jesus Christ. It's walking the day. Accepting all of it. All of who Jesus is all of them, while they're challenging that Jesus Christ isn't the Christ, that Jesus isn't the Christ, he says, listen, you've only got a short little time here, and you're going to have to make some decisions. Now, fortunately for these people, they're still going to have access come 
uh, Pentecost to his followers. You're going to have the power of Jesus' resurrection. You're going to have the, the Spirit convicting. You're going to have uh, men speaking in tongues uh, of whatever your language you came from. Um, and so they're going to have a little more access. But he says, listen, um, you don't have the light forever. You can't keep just putting this conversation off. Oh, I know that my life doesn't really exactly conform to the Bible, but, you know, I'm trying, Pastor. I'm doing the best I can. I love that phrase. Really? That's the best you got? <laughs> then you need someone else in your life. You need to walk in the day and not in the darkness. Having a little light in the dark is not the Christian life. There's nothing attractive about that. I turn around to check on, well, actually, my wife and son did this last, uh, Friday night. They both had little headlamps on, and they looked at each other. Guess what happened? Oh! There's nothing attractive. Nothing attractive of a Christian wearing a headlamp to the world. And you shine your little headlamp in their eyes. They go, oh. Because there isn't a fullness. But there is something oh so warm and wonderful about the sun, isn't there? Even if it's not fully risen and matured in the day, just having it out there at, or out there at twilight or at dawn, when it's not even actually visible, it already does so much better than the, the lamp on the forehead. It's so much warmer and attractive, so much better. And that's what God calls us to be, is to conform ourselves completely. Jesus says, listen, here's the light. Why won't you walk in the light? Because pretty soon you're going to, you don't know where you're going um, because you just keep in the dark. You keep thinking that because you have a little lamp on your head that you're okay and you're still walking in the dark and I want you to walk in daylight. And the lamp on your head is kind of meaningless. Suddenly that's not the thing you're clinging to because you're not completely reliant on one or two concepts out of the Bible. You have the whole truth because you've embraced Jesus Christ entirely with all your life. And this is what Jesus was offering to all people. And because they didn't get it, they were going to be judged. And then finally, verse 37, with this we'll close. They wouldn't believe the signs. What was verse 37? Many of the signs he did, they still didn't believe. They had the voice from heaven. They had the law. They knew it. They knew their Bibles. They had the light walking with them. Not a flashlight, daylight. They had everything exposed. He exposed the Pharisees. He exposed error. He exposed legalism. He exposed it all. He exposed every error and falsehood out there. He was, he was daylight. He showed them what it was like to please God, including being obedient son even to death on the cross. But they wouldn't believe him. 
and they had the signs, and they still wouldn't believe, even with just the signs, they would not believe. This is the beginning of judgment. And this is what he's going to focus in on the next two weeks as we finish up this chapter. And some of these people are going to believe, and you're going to say, well, they're good. I mean, we would certainly notch them on our evangelism belt, and we'd certainly line them up for baptism class, and we would certainly uh, have that as a praise at prayer meeting. Uh, but John doesn't have a very good thing to say about them. Because all they did was go from being in utter darkness to putting a headlamp on. They weren't walking in the light of day of Jesus Christ. I want to just share with you that you have access to his truth. But you have a lot of dissonance in this world. We have God's word. We have God's Holy Spirit. We have God's people around us. But we also have a lot of other influences that we give way too much credit to. And they are capital I influences in our life, and this is a lowercase i influence in our life. And I can prove it. I've made it my mission this week that every time I have a sit-down opportunity with any of the children of our church, I ask them if they do their quiet times. I made that commitment. Two weeks ago. I'm like, whenever I sit down with the kids, I'm going to ask them, did you do a quiet time? You picked up your Bible today. Nope. Nope. Yesterday? Nope. At all? We hand them out Wednesday. Nope. Why? Because this isn't a valid influence in our life. Did you pick up your Bible this week? I try to keep one in almost every room, I think, when <laughs> I walk around. So I can pick it up. You can put it on your little devices, your little eye gods, you can use them. Is it a capital I influence? You believe a host of things that contradict the Bible because that's the nature of Satan. He's been cast out of heaven, so where is he going to war? He's going to war here. How's he going to war? He's going to war, the Bible says, by something falsely called knowledge. The word in the old King James was science, but the idea is knowledge. They're going to say, we know better than what this ancient, ridiculous fairy tale says. We know better, because we're more sophisticated now than the Bible's time. So you're confronted every day at least every Sunday, because I'm going to teach you God's word while all week you've been learning from the world with dissonance. Because this and the world will never agree. Because Satan is the God of this age and of this place. And he will engage in warfare against this truth. And that warfare is in your mind, in your heart, in your life. And just like the hearers of the voice... You can hear God's word and misinterpret it and confound it and hear what you want to hear instead of the whole thing and you can not believe no matter how powerful the truth is given. This is the condition of people who yelled out Hosanna 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. That's who we're talking about. You would have been in that group. That's who Jesus is referring to. Oh, that we would say, this isn't just a tangent in my life. This is the core of all that I do, why I do it, how I do it. I need to know this book better. So that when I come, I can enjoy <laughs> messages better. That's not, I'm not really here for your enjoyment. I'm really here for your life. Um, that's why you feed your kids vegetables. Not because they enjoy them, but because you love them and want them to have life. Right? So I'm not here to give you sugar. I'm here to give you meat and potatoes and veggies, mostly spinach. Um, <laughs> I just picked that one out. I could have been broccoli or anything. You have to choose what to do, to receive it or reject it. But I guarantee you the world is going to sweeten your brain to its concepts, its principles, but they are antithetical to God's word. And I want you to come in here and not have dissonance. I want you to come in here and be refreshed. I want you to have dissonance when you go out there and say, this isn't right. I want you to yell at your devices, your little eye gods and your videos and say, that's not right, that's not godly, that's not according to scripture. I want you to yell at your newspaper. I do. Every, about every other day I say, why do we get this rag? A bunch of lies, a bunch of error. I'm tired of hearing about how many billions of years old the world is and how they know what's going on seven trillion light years away. It is time for us to say that God's word is true. This will be the core and the dissonance is out there. Because these people had dissonance, but they viewed the truth and the light as being the problem. And they wouldn't believe. Signs, voice, light, law, they had it all. They did not believe. And those that believed feared men more than God. We'll see them in the weeks to come. Let's challenge you. You have access to the truth. You have God's word. You have his Holy Spirit if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Even if you're not, he'll convict you. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ at this point. And you have God's people. But you still have to be willing to receive that into your life. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your word. We pray that we might be responsive, not only in our singing now to the message we've heard, but in our hearts and our lives, that we might delve into your word and make it our culture. Make it who we are. That we might truly walk in daylight. We know that the world will hate it, for they desire darkness. Lord, help us to hate the darkness, even with the flashlight, that we might walk in the light. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen.